What's up and welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas is Matt Morris. What is up, my friend? How are you? Yeah, I think maybe in two more weeks, the Raiders fans will finally realize that signing Jimmy Garoppolo was not the greatest idea. Uh, don't have a temperature on it yet because, honestly, I don't really actually know many Raider fans, which is ironic since I live in the city. Um, but I think we're going to start hearing some chatter over the next couple of weeks. And it'll be interesting because uh, I think I think people here in Vegas will start kind of getting a little uncomfortable and ready for victories. Although uh, Devontae did have a nice week. So uh, there's that. And uh, other than that, man, not a whole lot has been going on. Uh, Brewers clinched. We just talked about that. That was exciting for our Wisconsin sports fandom. And they clinched on a loss. As I kind of joked with you just a few minutes ago, how standard protocol for Milwaukee, Wisconsin sports teams. <laughs> yeah, typical. I actually really like the backup quarterback uh, for the Raiders, the kid from Purdue. I thought he was relatively nice last year in the Big Ten. He could throw the ball. Um, yeah, the Raiders are bad. It is what it is. Uh, they're not going to win the division. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. They're definitely not going to win the Super Bowl. But they are an exciting draw, an exciting ticket, and I'm still trying to crawl and climb my way out there in two weeks for the Packer game. Um, TBD tickets are steady, but going down a little bit. So hopefully I'll be able to go hang out with you and go there. But yeah, I mean, Jimmy G isn't the best option, but you could be stuck with Zach Wilson. So, you know, like they could be stuck with something worse. And I, they're not necessarily on our agenda today, the Raiders, but I don't necessarily blame Jimmy G for their struggles. I think it's a bunch of deep rooted, more deep rooted issue, which I think we, we could probably throw Josh McDaniels into the big, big topic of the podcast today. Once we get there in a few minutes. Well, and I think um, I kind of just wanted to hit on the fact that tickets are going down. You know, you and I have talked about it. We bought our tickets already. We are going. It is Packers. It is Raiders. It is Monday night. Me being a Packer fan, you being a Packer fan, I have to go because they're in the city I live in. You know, we've been trying to rally the troops and get as many fans out here as we can, especially friends. Yeah. And uh, ticket prices were high. I don't think I put into the equation the fact that the Raiders were going to be really, really bad. And that would probably drive the ticket sales down. I just assumed it's Green Bay. It's one of the best fan bases like the Niners and the Cowboys that show up for their team in different cities, especially Las Vegas. I mean, that is our market in general is the transient tourist market. Um, But my point of bringing this up is I still find the Raiders watchable and it is only because of Devontae Adams. I wouldn't <laughs> even say to you that I'm watching because Devontae was a Packer. Devontae is just a special player. And it makes the Raider games, if they're on and I don't have other options, worth a watch. And it's really interesting when you think about the rebuilding of a team and, you know, as things change, what's important to keep fans in the seats. And like Devante, if he's going to keep me watching a game, he's going to keep other people watching a game. You know, yeah. and that just goes into the value of what holding on to a superstar, not trading a Devante Adams as you go through this change uh, really means for an organization and I'm going to be very curious if, as the season goes on, if, if Devante is moved or if he demands a trade and how that relationship shakes out. Because if they lose Devante, I'm not going to watch the Raider game if it's the only game on TV. I have, I just have no interest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he is by far the, we'd call it the main attraction out there in Las Vegas, right? Like he really is. He, he mm-hmm. is what's bringing you in the door. He is the most fun player to watch on that team. I, you know, Justin Jefferson's fantastic, but. 
I still think there's an argument to be had that Devonte is the best wide receiver in the league, which is for a podcast for a much slower time than what we have going today. But yeah, Devonte Adams is fantastic. I still love him, and hopefully, I can wear my Devonte Adams Green Bay Packer jersey in Vegas in two weeks. Um, like I said, I think we're, we're trending in the right direction, but I don't want to jinx it. So um, we'll see. But let's move on to the first and kind of. I won't say the overarching theme of the podcast today, but something you and I were pretty passionate about making notes in between or before we're getting ready to go on today and record is uh, it's a little bit about the boomers, right? Our tagline, I guess we're going to call it for the episode, um, which I eloquently will take credit for, but is the boomers have busted in the NFL. This isn't your grandpa's NFL anymore. The new age NFL is here. And unfortunately, there's no room for guys like Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy anymore. Their schemes are outdated. Their players aren't getting hyped up and, you know, basically rejuvenated to play for them. Their roster construction is underwhelming. And at the end of the day, these new age play callers are connecting with their roster and using their talent much more efficiently than the guys like Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy. And week three was the perfect example of that. Yeah, and I mean, that leads right into um, my hype video, my hype pump up for Mike McDaniels. I mean, national media has completely pounded this drum all week, so we don't need to do it. It was an incredible game. Uh, I mean, Broncos looked terrible. Peyton looked awful. Looked like he no longer belongs in this league, as you said. Could not get his team to play hard. Continued to keep Russell Wilson on the field. And on the opposite side, you see McDaniels leveraging the speed that he brought in and that we all looked at and we're like, mm, this off season, this team's going to be really fun and Madden. And we actually got to see it on the field and it was, it was truly incredible. And I said to you today, my biggest takeaway that I'm kind of now uh, assessing and really sinking into is just the fact that Jalen Waddle didn't play in this game. They <laughs> dropped 70 points without arguably a top 20 top 15 NFL wide receiver. One of the fastest players in the league. It's okay. We got a kid from Texas A&M out here. He'll just go for four touchdowns and 200 yards. (laughs) This team is going to be incredibly dangerous as long as multiple weapons don't get hurt. You know, we have our concerns about Moster. Um, We don't know anything about A-Chain yet in regards to health and and longevity. I, I would love to see him play, be healthy all season. This could be an incredible rookie season. Those of you playing fantasy, uh, buckle up because you might start him and he might get four carries. You will bench him and he'll probably go for 150. <laughs> uh, that's just the nature of the game, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved what Miami did, but I, I'm loving what McDaniels is doing with some of these young coaches. Matt LaFleur had a really, really tough comeback victory. We're starting to see that system in Green Bay really take form uh, for the better and for the worse with a young, a young group of players. You know, we've talked last week about some of the younger coaches coming from L.A. that didn't work out. And I think you and I spoke today and we both agreed. Sometimes you hit a home run, sometimes you strike out. But the majority of these young coaches are doing a fantastic job. And I think there's one of them in Houston that we especially want to lean on. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to touch on McDaniels real quick before we get to Houston and some of the other guys is you can just see the belief in the team coming out from the veterans. And the young guys. Is that A-Chain? Is that how you say his name? I, I literally don't even know how to I think to we're going it. with A-Chain. Um, A-Chain, yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry. Like I, Hey, fortunately, my dad and I played him in fantasy this week. We won. 
that was whoa cool. that's crazy we have aaron jones and he was hurt so we're like i guess we'll toss a chain in like my dad and i my dad's in his 60s promise you he doesn't know how to say his name <laughs> um and i'm like dad my dad's like he's got two and i was like this motherfucker's got four touchdowns what, what are we doing um but yeah you can just really see the belief and just in year two with mcdaniel what he's been able to do just with Tua Tungavailoa himself, right? And we talked about it last week, the week before, like it's all about scheme, it's all about system, and his system is proving to be successful not only in Miami, but you're seeing it spread its wings throughout. And not saying his tree, but that style of play, spread it out, get your playmakers in space, get them the ball, and actually utilize the athletes on the field and use the rules to your advantage because you can't knock someone out of the game the way that you used to. Um, we're going to get to D'Amico Ryan's uh, in Houston, but you even see the likes of Jonathan Gannon in Arizona, three straight games in a row. The Cardinals, you and I were like, yeah, they're for sure going to be the worst team in the league. They're playing hard. They're playing great football. They're not going to win 10 games, but they're playing competitive ball. And Josh Dobbs is actually looking like a formidable NFL quarterback. Shane Steichen for the Colts, really getting it figured out for that Indianapolis team. And you're seeing Mike McCarthy, lose these games to these younger coaches and making excuses like, oh, my O-line was hurt. Houston yeah, wanna, was missing multiple guys. Go ahead. I want to shout out Steichen here, and this is uh, you know, a buddy of mine that I work with. So, Scotty, this is the third week in a row you're going to get a shout-out. This is the last week. <laughs> shout-out, I promise. Scotty. But uh, we were watching week one, and he was talking to me about um, – how do I pronounce it? Steichen? Steichen, yeah. Steichen. Think, yeah. Kind of giving me a little education course. And I think this is something I'm going to have to do myself every time there's a coaching change in the NFL is kind of go back and look at a career because I looked at it for Steichen today and I started to see a trend that should have led to success, should have been foreshadowing of a coach that should come in and do what he's doing. Steichen in 2010 started his career at Louisville as a coach moved on to the chargers as um it was like offensive control coordinator it was uh, the position that basically all of these young coaches filled as their first role and i probably butchered the title but uh moved back over to then the browns but here's where it starts to get interesting 2013 at the browns he was with norv turner uh moved back to the chargers to be uh in the same role and he had philip rivers around him and then goes to Philly, again, having successful coaches around him, but again, a good quarterback, Jalen Hurts. And then in 2021, midseason takes over play calling. That's when you really started to see the Philadelphia offense take off. And coming into Indy now, having a similar quarterback, starting to be able to kind of rely on some of the same calls he had with Philly and integrate that system into the Colts. Um, I was just, after doing my research, like, well, it makes sense. You know, like... You can look at the pedigree. You can look at the people he was around. A borderline Hall of Fame quarterback, which you and I spoke about off the air a little bit earlier tonight in Philip Rivers, having the pedigree, understanding what you need out of a leader. Being with Norv Turner, which for 20, 30 years was one of the greatest offensive minds in football until he boomed out, right? Until he just could no longer innovate the way he used to. And then going to Jalen Hurts, the MVP, being in a very fluid offense, a lot of success and I will be really interested to watch as coaching hires happen to look at the tree, look at who they've been attached to, look at the systems that they've come to and what the system they're going to be trying to implement in a new organization with the personnel they have around them. Because we're having great success so far in Indianapolis, and we're talking about a team that's been injured and holdouts. 
and he still has them at two and one, if I am correct. Yeah, two and one, and they just beat one of the best teams in the AFC in their own building, right? With Gardner Minshew, yep. who once again another super good signing, right? The guy that he brought over from Philadelphia last year knew the system. Super smart. Richardson's out, goes out there, plays well, gets a W. Um now we do see some flops, right? We've got guys from Kyle Shanahan's 49er system. We've got Ryan's now in Houston who we're loving. We'll get to them in a second. Obviously, Mike McDaniel. But then you got Robert Sala, right? He's two for three. I'd say at this point, with the way that Sala is handling this Zach Wilson situation, um, he's on a he's on a failure course. He hasn't failed yet, but he's he's trending that way. Right. You and I have our displeasure with Zach Taylor. We're going to talk about the AFC North a little bit later later. But then you got guys like Kevin O'Connell, right, who come from the Sean McVay tree. But if we turn it on the flip side, Matt, we have to look at some of the successful, we'll call them boomers, right? That's what the kids say nowadays. But some of the successful tenured coaches, none other than Andy Reid. But when you and I were discussing this off, it's like off off air is what has made Andy Reid successful is it's been his ability to adapt and innovate the entire time he's been a coach. He was the Mike McDaniel 25 years ago with Donovan McNabb and that Eagles team never being able to get over the hump, right? Got to one Super Bowl and lost. Comes to Kansas City after they've basically shipped him out of town there in Philly. And yeah, lands with Patrick Mahomes. But even when he had Alex Smith, was finding a way to make Alex Smith play great, innovating, creative play calling, and really utilizing the talent at his disposal to the best of his ability, which is something that he's still been consistent with. Whereas we're looking at McCarthy and Sean Payton are the easy examples here, but they're stuck in their ways. They're set in their systems. And at this point in time, the league is just blowing past them, even though McCarthy in Dallas has one of the best rosters, some of the best talent in the league. Well, and I think the biggest takeaway I have from just the changing of the guard um, was a conversation I was having about Miami from actually week two, where they chose to put Tyreek Hill in motion and motion him into routes. And it was just something I haven't seen before and I just assumed was illegal. We see motion all the time, especially in, in play action, in end arounds, in misdirection. But where Tyreek Hill was elevated was he was getting a running start in motions and he was giving the defense absolute fits because at this point, you're talking about a completely different route tree design. And I was like, wow, well, McDaniels is onto something. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Secondly, what did McDaniels do with Debo Samuel? He turned him into one of the most electric weapons in the NFL. Debo has not been the same player since McDaniels left. And we're seeing Tyreek Hill take his game to a completely another level, which I didn't even think was possible. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Tyreek Hill, in my opinion now, is probably a Hall of Famer. He's going to have to have a couple more good seasons, but he is one of the most dynamic players of a gener- of, of a 10-year decade period. Like That's a Hall of Famer. And McDaniels is pulling things out of players that we haven't seen. I mean, Mostert is playing at an elite level so far this season. Again, the injury concern is always there, has been elite before, but also he had Mostert with the 49ers. Um, And then you look at the simple fact that LaFleur is able to implement an offense with a first-year starting quarterback with the youngest team in the NFL, and we're seeing mistakes, but we're also seeing the blueprint of a team that's going to be successful and going to be competitive year after year. Because the system seems to work. 
if these if these wide receivers catch the ball, you're getting first downs. They continue to move downfield. They continue to have success because of the play calling. Things that we were had questions for for three, four years now, we have those answers. And then again, you kind of look at the flip side of that. We have question marks in Cincinnati with that young head coach. You know, that may have been a miss. We have question marks um, in other cities as well. But I think overall, the youth movement in head coaching is is very exciting. And I think we're going to start to see the game change a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to start seeing younger and younger coaches come from someone on McDaniel's staff, right? And then we're going to get another person from San Francisco. And maybe someone will get pulled from Matt LaFleur's team in Green Bay. Definitely not Joe Barry, but that's just us being a homer. Um, <laughs> but uh, in Houston, though, I did, I did want to touch on D'Amico Ryans and what they did. And I don't know if you remember, Matt. I'm sure you do. They went all in on the draft. They traded up. They lost their first round pick to Arizona. They picked up Will Anderson. They obviously got CJ Stroud the year before they got Derek Stingley. Um, and they brought in a defensive minded coach who has really transformed the culture over there. And what did they do? Going back to our week one podcast, they started in the trenches. Houston is on the bottom half of the league in pressures to CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud has thrown zero interceptions thus far this season. They have emerging superstars, Tank Dell, Nico Collins. Damian Pierce is still playing well, but he's not the workhorse that they need to carry the ball 35 times to win them ball games. And then on the flip side, their defense is creating turnovers and actually making stops. When you saw Houston on fantasy matchups in the past, you're like, oh, great, my guy's going to get 25-30 today. Not anymore. Um, I, I just think what he's doing through three games, right, um, is really, really encouraging. They just got their first win in Jacksonville, a division game. Not easy. But the right fit, the right hire, going all in on players and on a mindset, we'll see if it pans out long term. But I, I love what I'm seeing in Houston. I'm shocked. They're, they're, they're one of my most surprising teams thus far, for sure. Yeah, I have a lot to say about Houston. But first, I did want to throw one more bust young coach out there. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury. I mean... Swing and miss. Uh, you should have known yeah. better. We should have known that's better. That's a straight from college hire. That's though. a straight from college. Work, right? Like, yeah. I feel like that's a little different, but yeah. It, but it is different. And even when they hired him, it was like, he had coached Patrick Mahomes. And it's like, oh God, here we go. Let's right. all get excited. Because I did. Because um, he recruited Pat Mahomes and yeah. found that. Like, congrats. You did great. Yeah. He also was on the coaching staff with Johnny Manziel too. Okay, let's calm down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It didn't just didn't, didn't go that way. Um, but yes, Houston. Roster construction. Let's let's get the drum out, right? Boom, 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 boom. Um, they should they should have from from most eyes probably traded Laramie Tunzel, right? Great left sure. tackle, top ten left tackle in the league. Sure as heck is paid like one. And they had traded for him when they had Deshaun Watson, and they needed to shore up that left side. It was it was a great move then, and all of, all of a sudden, you know, Watson's issues off the field come up, and now you have a left tackle. You don't have a quarterback. It makes sense to move him and, and rebuild. Well, they didn't, and now they're benefited by that. Now they have a left tackle, which I think is 28 or 29, You know, still has really good prime years left, protecting your very young asset that is playing very, very well, and I think is at the top of my leaderboard for rookie quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson is nice, but the injury has allowed Shroud to rise to the top of my rookie board. Um, and then the Will Anderson draft pick. Absolutely loved it when they did it. As things set in, I was like, damn, you know, that they, they might have a high pick again. Like they they might have missed out on a really good player. Well, after three weeks, they're two and one, right? 
No, they're one and two. They just got the first win. Yeah, okay. But they're they're, once again they're looking looking. They look they look like a five or six win team to me. Sure, a a team that at least can compete for five, six, maybe seven wins if they can continue to get better. I mean, Tank Tank Dell's performance last week is showing the emergence of a team starting to find that gel. Um, They're not going to be picking and getting a Will Anderson this season. That's my takeaway. And Will Anderson was the best pass rusher off the board. And maybe the best pass rusher since Chase Young. I would have to look back on draft classes, but he was elite at Alabama. Um, we'd have to look. I'm just throwing yeah. out names. I mean, there's there's always one or two. Like Hutchinson was good the year before. Chase Young was pretty pretty high. But yeah, yeah I mean, he, he was he was he was yeah. the no doubter on, at the top though. Like he he was the he was the cream of the crop. Like if you're taking a D end outside linebacker, however you want to categorize him. Um, you're taking that. That's the guy to take. So I yeah. feel you. Yeah, yeah I get what sure. you're saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I and I just don't think you're going to be in a position this year as a Houston fan to go and get that difference maker. So when we talk about roster construction, you have the left tackle, you have you have the rush end, you have the lockdown corner, you have the quarterback. Right. I mean, we're checking off boxes here. That is a lot better than a lot of teams in the NFL today that are looking at their rosters, aka the Bears, right? Where you're like, oh, in this draft, what do I need? Well, you need almost all of those at this point right. if you're in Chicago. Uh, you need the left tackle. You need the corner. You need the rush end. You may need the quarterback. So just kudos to the, them and the decisions they made. Uh, absolutely, I think, will pay off for them to have moved up in that draft. And I think, too, we spoke about this off the air with the confidence that Green Bay had to have with Jordan Love and the Aaron Rodgers trade. I think it probably plays into the effect, too, with Houston. You don't trade for Will Anderson's pick if you know C.J. Shroud might be a bust. If you're taking C.J. Shroud and you have any inkling that he might be a bust, you hold on to that pick because of this quarterback draft class. They took Stroud. They had to know at least that they were getting a starting quarterback in the NFL to have the confidence to move up and take Will Anderson and really push this team forward. Huge takeaway. I, I loved what they did this past week. Um, and I think we're going to start to see the, a real emergence from some of these players, as you talked about. Moving on to the AFC North, Matt. We are going to just... You want you brought up a couple of things, and I was like, let's just talk about the whole division because you pretty much brought up three of the four teams. Um, super interesting division in the NFL right now. We knew coming into the season it was going to be competitive. Um, I don't think we understood how injured uh joe burrow was gonna be and that's that's part of the deal though like he is hurt we need to take that into the equation how we see this division moving forward throughout the season but you wanted to start with the browns you had a lot of takeaways so i'm gonna pass the mic over to you uh kick us off with your browns take and then we can get into the afc north as a whole yeah i didn't i didn't get a chance to watch the game i I watched a few of the recaps on it um I was really interested to see how this team was going to respond after losing Nick Chubb. I thought this could be the crumbling moment for this team. You know, you lose your workhorse, you lose your identity. Um, you know, all of the rumblings with Deshaun Watson, like now he has to be the guy. He has to be, as we talked about Adams earlier, the guy that sells tickets, the guy that has the ball in his hands and is going to be the new face as Chubb, you know, recovers and hopefully plays in the NFL again. I thought going up against Tennessee, there was a really good chance the better organization came in more prepared and won this game, and it didn't turn out that way. And I think what we could start to see is the emergence of this team coming together and really starting to find a new identity with Chubb out, You know, bringing Kareem Hunt back in, having Ford, who is a very nice roster piece when you lose a player like Nick Chubb, 
to really cement the team around themselves. Um, I want to see a little bit more in regards to this offense having continuous production. We've seen that with Deshaun since he's been there so far is from week to week. We just don't have consistency, but I think it was 27 to three was the final score of that game. That was, that was a performance. Tennessee is not a bad team. We may call them a middle, middle of the road team, but we have complimented them so far on the show this year through at least two weeks of being a team. That's a tough, tough opponent and the Browns to hang that number on them um, and to dominate that game. And it was the first week where I started to see Deshaun, at least again in the, in the recap, starting to find a rhythm, starting to move around the pocket, starting to hit his throws. If he can build confidence, that's all he needs because that confidence has to be an all-time low after everything he's gone through. For sure. And I think you made a good point about refining their identity. And I, I didn't even really think of it um, in that lens, but taking it there is... I think they realized in what we had talked about during the summer when we were just kind of looking at teams and rosters is they are really doubling, tripling down on that defense. I, I think yep. they actually might have, if not the best, a top three defense in the league with that defensive line, their linebackers, and then their secondary all working in perfect cohesion right now. And that's the difference right now with Cleveland. That's how they're dominating. I don't know if you saw the clip online, Matt, uh, of Miles Garrett. Did you see this? Uh, Miles Garrett was going from one side to the other on the defensive line from right end to left end. And two tight ends were motioning over <laughs> yeah. every single time. And he kept doing it till they got a delay game penalty. That is the type of level of dominance that he <laughs> is putting on right now. On top of the fact that they signed Zadarius Smith, who as of week four is still healthy and is an incredible compliment to Miles Garrett. We know how good Z can be. Um, they've got the kid from Notre Dame that they drafted a couple years who's playing at a Pro Bowl level. And then, of course, Ward is holding it down on one side of the field um, at, on the secondary. And they're just really playing complementary football, which is crucial when you have an offense that is average, right? And if Deshaun can just tap in a little bit into 2018, 2019, Deshaun, they can be real dangerous. I haven't seen enough from him yet to say that we're going to get there. I think those days might be behind us. But if you got a defense that is letting up less than 20 points a game, there's no excuse for them not to be in it at the end of the season here. Um, going to need Ford to stay healthy. Going to need, obviously, Kareem Hunt to start doing some stuff on his, on, on his end here as he's getting ramped up. But I think the Browns start and stop with their defense. And I would say they have the best defense in their division right ahead of Pittsburgh. Man, I'm going to read you some numbers. So... First off, just to kind of um, highlight some of the comments I gave to Deshaun, I didn't look at the box score after watching the recap, but he was 27 for 33. Mm -hmm. That's six That's six missed balls. That's pretty damn good. Two, 289 for two touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, that's a, If you can get that out of your quarterback yeah, that'll do with it. a top five defense, you should win almost every game. Yeah, flat out. But on the flip side. Ryan Tannehill, 13 for 25, 104 yards. Yeah, no I mean, no yeah, you, you had mentioned Tennessee, and we're we're about one week away from them being probably a highlight of the podcast of yeah. just poor roster construction, no offensive line, nothing, no way to get Derrick Henry going with their identity on offense, not getting Hopkins the ball enough. Tannehill doesn't look great, Matt, but the dude has zero time to throw the ball and for a bottom half quarterback to not have time to throw, especially against a team like Cleveland, that's where you get those numbers. Um, well, their left tackle even spoke about it um, on, on his podcast and 
That was after they caught him. And I think he even spoke on it before they caught him. They mismanaged their money. You know, if you don't have the money to to operate a foundation at all, what, what are we doing here? Who has been right. running the books? I mean, this is there are pro-level financiers in the NFL that have taken the Saints and the Packers to the cusp of being 50 million over and within 24 hours find a way to get them 10 million under the cap. Like you have guys that are absolute gurus at this. And yet you can't sign a left tackle. You can't sign a right tackle, right? The Bengals figured it out. It's it's disgusting. They ran the ball 15 times in this game. Now, I understand yeah. you're going up against a formidable front in the Browns, so you're going to lean on the throw. But Cleveland absolutely controlled this game from start to finish. Yep. And again, this defense and this head coach, they, they're going to give you their effort. The offense is giving absolutely nothing, nothing. Yeah, it's tough. It's really bad, um, especially from a guy who drafted DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> I mean, yeah, can't trade him now. Um, yeah. What did you say Tannehill had? 110? 104. Yeah, Hopkins had 55 of it. <laughs> well, Hopkins, I mean, seven targets, three receptions, yeah, right? Like just, That just goes into Tannehill's out there running for his life, just trying to get him the ball. But yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah, what, what are you? That's... They they need if they need help on the front fast or else their season's gonna get it away from them quick and Houston might start beating their ass. Who knows? Um speaking of young quarterbacks, AFC North, Kenny Pickett. I know you had a little bit of change of heart after watching the Vegas game. Yeah, I mean if you again if you're if you're listeners, you know I'm I'm not a fan of two gloves here. Um started to see some throws that might actually slowly chip away at my opinion. Uh so that deep ball was really nice. I mean, it had velocity. It was on the money. Sure, he had 10 yards of separation, um, Doesn't but he, matter. he had him in stride. Yeah. And those are the kind of things that I'm like, hey, okay, like we need to see more of that. But again, bad offensive line, right? We've talked about this before with, with Pittsburgh. Like Pickett is also up against a similar issue that the Titans have and that Tannehill has not nearly as bad, but it's been a weakness for Pittsburgh for a couple of years now. And throws like that give me hope. If you can start to build an offensive line around him, you might actually start to see this draft pick and this first round pick pay dividends. And I saw a lot of things online this week saying similar things. Let's be patient. You know, it's something I've always preached. I just haven't liked Pickett, so I'm biased on that front. Um, but again, it's slowly chipping away at that narrative for me. And I'm I'm really excited to watch Pickett the rest of the year. And he has a couple weapons around him that I think, you know, could be nice. Johnson's been out as well. So, you know, his number one target, his most veteran wide receiver, um, you know, probably a top 20 wide receiver as well in the league. If we did our rankings, had the hamstring injury. So as he comes back, as he starts to develop, I'm very interested to watch Pickett the rest of the season. Yeah, I like Kenny. I don't have any issues with him. I haven't seen any massive red flags. He looked terrible week one, but Niners defense completely healthy. Yeah. Like you got to take that with a grain of salt, in my opinion, or at least I do. And I know their offensive line isn't good. Kenny Pickett being their best wide receiver on the roster is not great. I like, or sorry, not Kenny Pickett, George Pickens being the best wide receiver on the roster. Isn't great. Not saying that he's not very good, but you need a little bit more than that. And Deontay Johnson, super underrated, made a good point there. I think the Steelers biggest issue is what they're going to do with the backfield. Um, I don't know if you have the box score for that game pulled up, Matt, but I think Harris was like 19 rushes for 60 something yards. He's just, 
he just hasn't been able to tap into what he had his rookie year. Uh, granted, they had Big Ben, so I don't think he was running as much, and he was catching a lot more out the backfield. So I think that might have inflated his overall usage and his stats, and he had a better fantasy season, which always gives running backs in the league a little bit of better sentiment. But they have been trying their best to basically create their identity through the run now throughout the last two weeks, and I think that's the right way to go to help out Pickens, Pickett, Pickett and Pickens, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Um, throughout the season, because if they rely on Kenny to throw the ball 35 times a game, they will lose. And similar to the Browns, they don't need to worry about offense because I, their defense is very, very good as well in Pittsburgh. And if they can keep the game close in the fourth quarter, create a couple turnovers, get their offense in um, you know, plus territory to start their drives or around midfield, they'll be totally fine. Um, and yeah, I think we need... We need a another weapon in Pittsburgh for Kenny, and we need to get that offensive line shored up. Um, I still, I'm buying stock in Kenny Pickett. Still, I don't think I've seen enough out of him where I'm necessarily worried the way I'd be worried with some other younger quarterbacks. Yeah, I saw a fantastic statistic that I did not save, of course, and I am desperately <laughs> scrolling for it right now. So I'm like kind of buying time as I try to multitask here. Um, Harris didn't have a terrible game. I think as I was just looking at the box score, it was like 19 for 68. Um, okay, found it. I was able to stall enough. So, I mean, it's not a terrible game, but it's not. No, it's not good. It's not efficient. Yeah, it's not efficient. All right, here we go. On early downs in the first half, um, the Steelers are in shotgun. They are 92% pass, second rated. They are under center. They are 85% run for uh, fourth highest in the league. How is that? Po- how, how do you let that happen? As a professional, as, as a professional offensive coordinator in the NFL, that's that's amateur stuff right there. It's amateur stuff. And it's, that's it, unbelievable. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt your point. It's there. crazy. That's unreal. And my takeaway. Yeah, I, I, I mean, these are the things like we watch the Packers. I think those are things that we would probably be able to identify ourselves by just watching the game. Right. Um, but this is incredible. And it goes into like, oh, you know, Najee Harris isn't he isn't effective. How long does this go back is my question. You know, like this is <laughs> this article was posted, I want to say, five days ago, September 22nd. Um, and. What if this has been going on for two years? Well, no wonder Najee Harris isn't effective. They just know he's running the ball 85% <laughs> of the time. And if you have a young quarterback with a poor offensive line, even the 15% that you may do play action or you just may roll into a pass, you're going to struggle because that defense is on your ass right away. So very interesting statistic. This was from uh, Sharp Football Analytics. Um, like that they were able to pull that out. It's very, very interesting. You have on counteractive sides here, you have Green Bay looking like they're in the better um, better territory with the Jaguars and the Chargers. And then you have Steeler, the Steelers all by them lonely selves. So um, I'll have to send this to you so you can take a look and do a little evaluation. But you know, just for you listeners, again, we're gonna judge I judge Pickett. You know, everyone in the nation is judging Najee Harris right now. Sometimes there are reasons for lack of production. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fans in Pittsburgh two weeks ago were f- screaming "Fire Canada," which is their offensive coordinator. Yeah, and that 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 kind of stuff is inexcusable, and it's a reflection on Tomlin, who's one of you know. I think he's falling into the boomer category. Obviously, he's a little bit of a younger head coach, but he's been a head coach for freaking I don't know. It feels like close to two decades now. Um, 
But this one of those things, it's like, come on, man. I know he's probably your guy, but you're you're hindering success and growth of your young players in confidence too. That's that is a crazy stat. I, I don't love that. Um, that actually honestly leads into I don't have any groundbreaking stats like that, but that leads to the Bengals, which was more the team I wanted to talk to at least, or at least start the conversation is like I said it last week, but like I'm genuinely questioning Zach Taylor. Like I don't understand what we're doing. You and I and every NFL fan, especially Bengals fans, know we are in the window. This is it. Like they have to get to the playoffs. They obviously have to try and get to the Super Bowl and win it now because money is going to need to be allocated for T. Higgins and other playmakers on that team. Like now, um, your quarterback is playing with a pretty severe strain in his calf. You could just tell by the way he's walking and operating out on the field. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know if you know this, Matt. And I'm not much of a medical expert here, but usually a calf and an overextension of these calves can lead to a really serious Achilles injury. Like that's kind of how it starts. Whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, a little bit younger than those guys, but that's how it works, man. Um. So what is what does Zach Taylor do on Monday Night Football? Oh, you know, the first half, he only throws the ball 31 times and rushes it seven times with Joe Mixon, who is, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber back for a grand total of six points against the Rams at home. I'm really just starting to question this guy's credibility, his game plan, and his overall awareness of his of, of, of his roster. Like, I get he's the pro. He's a coach. Like, I, I get it, right? Like, we're just some guys on a podcast. But, like, it to, to the Matt Canada stats, like, I just doesn't make logical sense to me that you've got a guy who was a game-time decision. Your entire season is on this dude's left leg, and you're going to have him drop back against Aaron Donald 31 times in the first half. I couldn't believe it watching the game last night. Well, referencing the same uh, chart that we just used to kind of shed on the Steelers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because why not have a little more fun with that? Bengals, um, 75% pass rate in shotgun, roughly. Uh, league average. You got the you got the Bengals, you've got the Bills, you've got the Patriots, Cowboys, Browns. That's le- league Cardinals. average is around 75%. The, I mean, there's a little pocket within this graph where it's gotcha. like, this is what the NFL does. And reference point here, the most egregious in both categories of pass rate and shotgun and pass rate under center is the Minnesota Vikings. We are seeing that because they have absolutely no run. They can't game. run. I mean, yeah. they are in a they are in a field of their own, and it's pretty incredible. While the Steelers are also in a field of their own, and then you have Green Bay, uh, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Atlanta, and Philly, and Baltimore all in the run heavy centric section here. Um, but point being here, the Bengals are operating as if they don't have an injured quarterback. They're <laughs> yeah. operating as if the, you know, they're following the same strategy they would if Burrow were healthy. And I was going to jump on today and I was going to have this big takeaway that, you know, Cincinnati is just not going to be contenders for the next three years because that's what I've been seeing this season. And it's not the case because I do believe in the roster. I do not believe in Zach Taylor, have not believed in Zach Taylor since day one. And the Super Bowl really kind of faked me out, I think. You know, I thought, oh, man, maybe he has something that I'm not seeing. And then we get back to roster construction and we get back to this graph and what we were just talking about. And I said it to you earlier tonight when we were kind of prepping for this. You have Leonard Fournette, who I think is still a very good running back, very serviceable running back, elite level backup, in my opinion, on the market 
in street clothes, not signed. Why not bring him in and pair him with Mixon and run the ball 40 times a game while Burrow's hurt? Really, ground and pound and control time of possession. Allow Burrow, when he is making throws, to have time because the defense just does not know what's coming their way. You have elite level wide receivers. Play action works really well with elite level wide receivers. Everything that's going on in Cincinnati concerns me, and I, I do not want to see this negatively impact Burrow's career with a, a career-altering injury, as you kind of alluded to. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Bengals play the Titans this week, which is why I think we're going to put the Titans take on ice. I, I think we're going to learn a lot about both these teams. Going one and three is going to be really, really tough to make the playoffs in the AFC from a wild card perspective, right? There's a lot of really, really good teams out there. Um, but yeah, man, I just, I just don't get it. They haven't played Pittsburgh yet. They played the Browns once. Thank God they got that out of the way with, and we saw how that went week one, yeah. but it's like, I don't know. It just it just really makes me upset and makes me concerned. You know how high I am on Burrow. He's my guy. Um, he's kind of my 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 young gun that I root for. But it's just like the last thing you need is that guy having two major injuries this early in his NFL career, not going back to college when I know he had other injuries as well, um, and really derailing your franchise. I get the windows now. This is something that we see throughout time. We saw it as Packer fans, right? You saw it with Philip Rivers. You saw it with Drew Brees. You saw it with um, Ben Roethlisberger. Go on, you know, back and back to some of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And these guys push through injuries, and it, it ends up catching up with them at the end of their career. Now, I know Joe's young, but this, I don't know. Like, I, it just gets me really into The 31 passes was actually mind-blowing to me. It, so, it really was. I'm looking here, three, four, five, six. Week seven's bye, okay? So, Cincy? week seven is... Week since yep, yeah, week seven is by. Week eight is the test. If Burrow is not healthy by week eight, they play the 49ers. That could be that could be interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't want to foreshadow injuries. I don't want to foreshadow disaster. But if he's not healthy going into that matchup with the 49ers, I do not care what our, our record is. You're not playing. I, I You're not just... playing. I just don't I, I don't foresee a scenario where there's not a setback by then. Like I just don't. Like there's I don't I don't foresee it. I, I just really don't. Like I think of the year Rogers had the calf late in the year. Yeah. They tried to they tried to help him come back. He was that was the year they lost the Seahawks in that NFC championship game. And he's just all all off season. I mean sorry, all end of the season, postseason, he's just literally playing football on one leg. Yeah. And it's just like it's not and Burrow's on that level of where Rodgers was when he was that good. You know, he's that good of a quarterback, but it's just not, it's not good, man. And they, it leads to long-term lingering BS, man. It just they, does. They have a, they have a doable schedule. I mean, Tennessee, probably a win. Yep. Uh, Arizona, we like should the story, but should be yep. a win. Seattle, it's going to be a ball game. Um, bad defense a, a in Seattle thus far, though. Yeah, yeah, bad defense so far. I don't know if Witherspoon has played yet. Um, I haven't really kept I'm not sure too either. many tabs. Yep. 49ers, I'm just going to go up and hit. It's, an, it's a loss. <laughs> probably. Um, Buffalo, tough. that's tough. Um, Houston, probably a win. But if this Houston team continue, continues to develop, like that could be an upset. Then you get back to division. You get Baltimore. You get Pittsburgh. You get a challenge in in Jacksonville. Uh, you play the Colts again. A division game. You play Minnesota. Well, probably a win. Um, but then again, you finish hard. Pittsburgh, Kansas City on the road in both. 
and then you get the Browns at home to finish the season. To close it, yeah, that's a tough. Um, that's a tough, a tough schedule, schedule for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, and Burrow's young, younger than Rodgers was when he had the calf. Uh, yeah, there's just concerns here, and we're gonna circle it right back to Zach Taylor. What do you do to protect <laughs> your investments? Um, so yeah, I think I think he is public enemy number one. Ben Simmons, you had your time. I think you can sit down, Kyrie. You know you've been <laughs> ushered like that, back huh? into the heart. Wow, Zach Taylor is public enemy number one for Matt Morris. Wow, wow, love to hear it, dude. Well, I guess you did skip a step. It was Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, then just the Angels organization as a whole. You can't just gloss <laughs> over that. Well, baseball uh, season's ending, so like we can pick that back up in April. Um, I, I just don't want to waste any more time with that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's real. Um, before we get into around the world in sports or what's happening in sports. I did want to just touch on a couple matchups coming this week. Sorry to friend who complained, but I do want to get your thoughts a little bit on what you're looking for out of this Lions Packer matchup. And then there's a couple more. I just, I wanted to just personally talk about a little bit. So, but going into Thursday night football here, what are you expecting to see um, from both of these teams? It looks like Watson and Jones should be playing for green Bay. So for me, because they're playing doesn't really change the fact that I'm not taking a whole lot away from Green Bay here. If Green Bay wins this game, I think it will say more about where the Lions actually are than where the Packers are. I have said it last week. I will say it again. I don't think we're going to know what this Green Bay team is until the end of the season. We actually actually review it because they're so young. We're seeing a system under development. The execution has been poor at times, and we have not seen healthy playmakers. Just because Jones and Watson are back, I'm not going to say that they're healthy playmakers. So I don't think the sky is falling if Green Bay loses this game. I think it'll be a nice victory for Detroit. It's a game Detroit should win, even though it's at Green Bay. Now, if the Packers win, I think what we're going to start to say is what is actually wrong with Detroit? How can a young team with a developing system, developing players win this game against what should be the division favorite, the veteran quarterback? You know, a team that had the momentum last year, that beat Aaron Rodgers to finish the season last year. What are we going to see from this game if the Lions lose is what I will be dissecting. But I'm genuinely thinking Lions should win this game probably by 10 points. 10 um, points? Wow. I, I, I think highly of them. Um, I, I, I really do. Now, I'm saying that again because our, I'm not expecting Watson to be a full like a full go, right? He'll be out there, and Jones will be out there too, but hamstring injuries, like they linger. We're not going to see Watson run 17 go routes, take the third level off, and Jordan able to just drop balls into the middle of the field all game. That's what we're yeah. looking at from this offense when he's healthy. And are we going to see Jones have 20 touches, 25 touches, to really take some of the, the emphasis off Jordan having to make decisions? We'll probably see Jones touch the ball 15 times. 12 to 15. Um, I I don't think the Packers are going to, to be able to win this game with those numbers against the lions. Now I hope I'm wrong for three quarters. If we hadn't won that game last week, I think you're probably agreeing with me on this. No, 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 no. I still have super realistic expectations about it. Um, I, th- I think no matter what, the game says more about the Packers than it does about the Lions. So that's why I okay. thought your point was interesting. I don't disagree with your point. I, that's just okay. not my mindset was different. I just feel like for the Packers, this is a measuring stick game because I do agree with you that the Lions probably are the best team in the division. But the division, like, I mean, we're not talking about a massive gap here regardless, right? Like, I, I yep. think 
overall. So the line is one and a half, by the way. The Lions are one and a half point favorites. Wow. Um, okay. On the road. Uh, I thought the line was perfect, personally, because I think the Lions have a better overall team, right? Yep. But not by much. And I think the Packers defense is really, really good. And the Lions are going to have trouble against them. I, I think what I've seen from the front seven in Green Bay has been above average to very good, actually. And if they can get pressure on Goff, and if they can slow down David Montgomery, if he plays, um, and, and force Goff to throw the ball over the yard, well, and Matt, I think that's that's a big that's a big thing. Yeah, go ahead. I just, I completely forget this, and I forget this every season. Goff is not good on the road. Right. Um, he's not at all good on the road. So he played he played good in that last game of the season, but they couldn't stop the run. So, yeah. and you know, I don't really want to get into it, but Rodgers played like shit. Um, I'm gonna scale it back. I th- I think I think Detroit wins by five. Okay. Five. Yeah. Ten. Um, ten's a lot. Ten's a I, lot. It's it's a lot. And I I say that because I have faith in golf. But honestly, I I need to see more of it on the road. I, I I do. And this is this is a road game. So that's a big emphasis. Yeah. Short week. Packers. This is a, a full measuring stick because the Packers have yet to put four good quarters together, even against the uh, against the Bears. Um, I think the Lions are just a well-oiled machine right now they pounded atlanta last week in detroit um the packers got lucky that they won i thought they were looking ahead to the thursday night matchup by sitting jones and watson on sunday so i think this is my takeaway long story short is that this is a measuring stick game for green bay that's exactly how i measure if they beat the lions say they beat them by 10 i don't think that happens say they do now we're like hey if we can play that game where we beat the lions by 10 we're going to win the division and we're, we're potentially a playoff team here. If they get blown out or you see these same mistakes you've seen from green Bay week after week thus far, um, in this inconsistent play with penalties, we'll know, Hey, this, this might just be what we're signing up for, for the next month and a half. And we'll see if they get to eight wins. Right. Yep. Um, that it's just a full measuring stick. Yeah. Moving I don't, on. Dis- I don't disagree oh, with you either. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm holding expectations back and I'm, I'm watching same. this journey week to week and, um, you know, every week they surprise me. So I'm like, okay, you know, but I'm, I'm not allowing that impact the, the next week. And I think you said it best when I was talking to you today about LaFleur's interview post game where he didn't have a lot of excitement and, you know, there were a lot of mistakes in that game. And, um, I, after three quarters last week, I was like, okay, I, I need to lower my expectations from where it was after two weeks because holy cow, that was not good. Even with our weapons out, um, but Matt, I have eight games. I'm going to rapid fire real quick. And then oh, I'm going okay. to let you finish your take and, and wrap it up. Sure. Um, there's only two. There's just two games I just actually want to talk about. But yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Knock yourself out. Um, Atlanta Jacksonville. Absolutely love that. I think we're going to get to see what one of these teams is and isn't. Um, whoever wins this game. and if In one London, team by the way. Can, in London, too. So completely throw that take out the window because uh, those games are always <laughs> a shit show. But I'm serious, though. Um, yeah. never mind because it's in London, uh, Miami, Buffalo going to be fantastic. Um, uh, both teams coming off a, a plus grades from last week, Denver, Chicago shit bowl. Um, can Justin Fields get it? <laughs> can he get some momentum here? Uh, well, we could call it the Caleb Williams bowl, Baltimore, Cleveland, right? Baltimore. Can they bounce back against a very good defense as we talked about earlier? Can, can Cleveland continue momentum? Uh, let's see here. Indianapolis, Los Angeles Rams. Can Indy continue to be a system team and find victories? Tampa, New Orleans. Like this is a very, very, very big game. If Tampa can win, 
they start to really um, cement themselves as actually a contender in the division, which I didn't think was possible. Uh, we have Las Vegas with against the Chargers. Big game only because they lost Mike Williams for the season. I think that's yep. a huge loss. I want to see how this offense responds. I want to see how Herbert responds. I want to see if Staley still has a job at the end of this game. And that's it. That's all I got for you. Okay. Uh, we're going to go back to two of the 10 o'clock games. Uh, the first one was Dolphins Bills that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Talk about measuring stick. Um, the team that I'm looking at more is the Bills. Okay. Bills have beat up on two bad teams, the Raiders, and then now Washington. Who Washington's not bad, but in, I still have Bills top two. Sam right? Howell wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, he had a tough day. Our he guy had a, had a really, really tough day, which yeah. sucks because we are still in his corner yeah. for now. <laughs> for now, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think this is going to be a really, really big test for Buffalo here. Are they going to be able to slow down this Dolphins team that played really well against them last year, almost beat them in that playoff game without Tua last year, is Jalen Waddle going to be back? I think this is a massive game, bigger for the Bills than the Dolphins, in my opinion, because uh, actually, maybe not, because this this is my take, I guess. So it might be bigger for the Dolphins is that if the Dolphins win this game and if they have the same type of victory that they had against Denver, not 70 points, but dominance where they suck the life and the soul out of the Buffalo Bills, I think this will be their stamp on the AFC East saying, we are the team to beat in this division. We are coming for the crown and we might be at the top of the entire AFC when this playoffs all starts, obviously health matters, but I think this is the dolphins opportunity to do that. Putting the pressure on the bills, the bills are two and a half points favorites. They are at home. Yeah. But I think this is, I think all the pressures on the bills, which is why I thought it was a little bit more meaningful for them, but I guess it's still meaningful for Miami. Um, if they could go out and dominate, but I think all the pressures on the bills. Yeah. This is the game I'm watching. Um, and I, I, I think everything you said was perfect and I'm ecstatic for this game. This is the game yeah. where we find out the game is the Miami, weekend. the juggernaut, right? Yeah. It, like I will, I personally, if they if they have a dominant win, easily push them at the top of possibly the NFL. It's hard with the 49ers, but you're right. The AFC, they will be the kings after week four if they come and blow the doors off Buffalo at home. Um, and Buffalo on the flip side, you know, if they can stifle this Dolphins defense and give the rest of the NFL a blueprint to possibly how to stop Miami's juggernaut offense. We're going to have some questions about how does Miami respond? Buffalo back into into a contender seat. This is this is probably the biggest game of the week. 100%. Yeah, this is the game of the weekend. And then the other big game I'll put here in air quotes is um the dumpster fire. <laughs> and the reason I say it's big and I just have one like quick I I'm going to throw a question on you I didn't prep you for is if the Bears lose this game, Getty has to be fired, right? Yes. Doesn't get on the team plane. And yeah. they're playing at home. So they actually do take him to a plane because they, they get him out of Illinois immediately. The eviction notice is on the front door by the time <laughs> yeah, he gets home. The we'll, doors we'll are packed. Yeah, it's over. He has to be gone. I, I agree. And because it's... And if they if they do lose, if Justin Fields struggles and they can't get points on the board, they're not moving the ball and he and he gets sacked, like I, I we might have a tinfoil hat segment because I just think they may be actually setting him up for failure at this point because the Denver defense is not the Denver defense we are used to. Clearly, they played terrible last week. I expect them to come back and be a little bit better. But at the end of the day, man, like this is it. If they cannot at least look like a formidable offense, in week four against a terrible Broncos team 
at home at Soldier Field. Um, I I just don't see any other. I don't see another excuse why Getsy should still be the offensive coordinator for that team. They need to change it up. Well, and speaking about coordinators, you talked about the Broncos defense having shifted kind of parallels here a little bit. I heard a fantastic take this week, and it didn't even really register with me until it was talked about in depth. Vic Fangio, when he was fired and left the Broncos, he built that defense. He instilled values. He instilled a foundation. He's in Miami now. And I found that to be very interesting. Um, You know, I I do believe in the NFL, there are tendencies that coaches know about players. There's certain mentalities coaches know about players. There's definitely ways that they know to attack players. What better than to have their former head coach help them put 70 points, even though he's not an offensive mind against your former team and how absolutely beautiful that must have been for him to decimate the defense that he helped build. Yeah. And, and your boy, Mike McDaniel from Colorado didn't get the mm. interview for Denver two years ago, but Dude. you know, they, they wanted, they wanted Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Did you see a, the screenshot I sent you today? Uh, of the CBS one? interview, CBS yes. interview, Mike McDaniels, you know, guy comes on and he's just, you know, first comment is like, I've always hated this guy. And it was just a plethora of yes, people just begging on this guy because it's like, how could you not like Mike McDaniels? And if you're a listener, and you don't like Mike McDaniels. Just stop listening to us. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We need all the listeners we can have. But um, I love McDaniels, and I'm I'm rooting for him. But the dumpster he's fire. He's tough not to root for. Yeah. He's tough not to root for. Dumpster My fire. My lady fucking loves him. I mean, dude, thinks he's, he's, he thinks he's hilarious. And I'm like, I genuinely think if we, you, you do, sorry to interrupt you, but like you do this thing and me and one of my coworkers talk about this all the time. It's the beer test, right? Yeah. And you do like, would I have a beer with you? Just simple test, simple test. Like, would you go have a beer with them? Mike McDaniel, hard yes. Hard Absolutely, yes. right? Like probably two, probably smoke a joint with him, hit the vape and like have a nice night out with him and we could wear our stunner shades out at fucking at midnight, you know? Like he just seemed, he checks all the boxes for just a real one, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think the curiosity with McDaniels is, cause he's weird, right? And he's, oh, yeah. he's got his own quirks about him. Would you like, would you meet back up with him, right? That's, a, that's the real <laughs> beer test for me. Cause like you can get drunk with any random person and like find a way to like have it be a good time. And like you said, put the shades on, would you meet back up but like, would you hit him up next week and be like, yo, your girl's at work, like games at 10, like, are we hitting the bar or what? Or is it like, Oh God, I, I can't do that again. Yeah. And I get the impression that he's the guy that you're like, all right, what, what time does the girl go to work? Because I'm ready to drink. Um, yeah, he's, he's our guy. We went on long enough about him. Um, the garbage, garbage bowl will be on the iPad because I will not give it the service of putting it on the big screen this weekend, but it will also be accompanying the Miami Buffalo game. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening this week. Mike McDaniel, shout out. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy football. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at pitcher bet pod later.